Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a movie from 2022 available on Netflix, Where the Crawdads Sing. Where the Crawdads Sing. I'm going to do this whole thing in a southern accent, you best believe. I think that your southern accent seems subpar to your other accents. You'll get into it. You'll get the hang of it. So what's better as an alternate title for this movie? Is it Forlorn Gump or Forest Swamp? Forest Swamp? Definitely Forest. <laughs> Marsha's Murder Mystery. De- <laughs> what is that new channel on like Lifetime or Hallmark? Murders, Mystery, and Marsha's? <laughs> Is that a real thing? <laughs> I added the Martians part. Oh, man. Uh, where are the crawdads sing? So I saw this movie back in July in theaters. In fact, I went to a dine-in theater in Miami. I was there for a conference because I was really excited about this. Not only had I been kind of following it, but I had read the novel. And I was a big Daisy Edgar Jones fan from Normal People. Did you have crawdads? Gator tots? Tater tots? Oh, you'd think in the dine-in theater in Florida they might have that, right? Gator skewer or something? But no. I had a burger and a margarita, and it was glorious. <laughs> Just a night out away from the kids. Exactly. Not only a night out away from the kids, but a night out on my own with just me time, as cheesy as that sounds, is just so glorious. I I remember I left Miami. I flew to Cincinnati. And I was driving my rental to Cincinnati proper. And I was like so giddy with my independence that I was like laughing and singing at the top of my lungs and like being generally pretty ridiculous in my rental car driving through the, I guess the marshlands of Ohio was amazing. And yet still you were blasting and singing along to this desert life all the way, right? (laughs) How did you know I totally had Counting Crows on. Yeah, dude. You were all Miss Robinson in your Cadillac dream. Oh, I, whoa. Were you there? That's so weird. This, this in, a, in a way, is a Counting Crows kind of movie, isn't it? In a way back kind of way? No. I mean, it's totally different. But no, this was like if like if Nicholas Sparks went off on his own and did like a dirty <laughs> swamp movie, this would be it. Uh, <laughs> and I do think that Crawdads aspired to a notebook level romance, but I don't think it achieved it. Spoiler. <laughs> Look, I tried to get Kelly to see this movie. It was based on the runaway worldwide bestseller, which we never read. I don't think and she never read, but uh, it wasn't getting great reviews. And I don't want to like take away from the female filmmaking and writing team. And it was written by a lady and Reese Witherspoon produced it. And it's a female centric movie and all that good stuff, despite a, a, a heavy supporting male cast. But it yeah, it wanted to be the kind of romance dreamy i expected it to be dreamy like sort of amelie beasts of the southern wild kind of magical swamp <laughs> and and it, it was just a little bit more nomadland 
And I fully expected her to like do that thing where on a regular basis over her like inner monologue, she goes and like floats in the swamp with her hair, like all flowing out behind her and stuff. And, and gators don't touch her cause she's a Disney princess. <laughs> a Disney princess. Yeah. Didn't you expect there to be a scene where she's floating in the swamp and contemplating life and looking up at the trees? Um, well, there was a lot of tree gazing. I could see how she could kind of, I can envision some kind of, was it Renoir that had the floating damsel? Ma- Come on, Renoir. man. Monet was the, the lily pads. No, I'm talking about. You obviously about... couldn't play the role of Tate's dad who listens to Puccini on his fishing boat. Yeah, he was refined. He wasn't just like swamp trash. Right? That You can't make assumptions about these swamp people. Of course she murdered that boy. Of course she did. She's She looks the type, that swamp thing. Like, look at her. Just look at the the likes of her all out there on her own. She's horrific to look at in her like flower sack sundresses with the pretty patterns and delicately applied blush and perfect dental <laughs> oral hygiene. <laughs> Hideous you... to look upon. The Marsh Girl. Did you read Where the Crawdads Sing? No, I'm sorry. This one passed me by. I didn't know about it. I don't subscribe to Reese Witherspoon's book club. Yeah, I went to some screening or another of a Hello Sunshine produced film. And I was all inspired by how Bruna Papandrea and Reese Witherspoon are producers who read. And I was like, I'm a producer who reads. (coughs) I read. And then they announced in the trades that they had optioned where the crawdads sing and then later they announced daisy edgar jones and i was like oh my god this is gonna be amazing and i read the book and i thought it was all right like the southern swamp version of to kill a mockingbird and that's probably commonly recognized right you think is it the courtroom (laughs) murder drama about the misunderstood Uh, outcast from society i thought david strathairn who we who we've We've talked about a lot from Nomadland to your favorite Godzilla versus Kong. And then recently he was in Nightmare Alley. He was kind of an on the nose Atticus Finch. Yeah, it might as well have been Mark Rylance in his same suit from Trial of the Chicago Seven. He's kind of soft spoken. But I mean, I no, so I didn't read the novel. I was but I was encouraged when the credits started to roll. I was like, oh, David Strathairn, oh, Garrett Dillahunt, this is gonna be awesome. And then they made Garrett Dillahunt into like a snarling swamp hulk or like a deliverance goon. But uh and he was there and he was smacking people and then one day paw disappeared i do think that i can offer a a somewhat unique perspective in that i'm not bound by the book to track how faithfully or accurately they were represented on screen didn't read the book movie has to stand on its own merits i have no comment on the book but it seemed like there were an awful lot of things where you would be like oh my god it's just like in the book and none of that mattered (laughs) to me Well, I have a question for you. Having not read the book and being able to just evaluate the movie on its own, did you know what was going on? Nope. I knew that she was accused and that people on a Forrest Gumpy level, they were like, you can't sit here like her whole life. And I was like, I don't understand why. Because it wasn't like, oh, in order to make this sell, we're going to cast like a pretty girl or whatever. Because in the novel, like, like Forrest Gump, he was hideous and like this big, like, hulking goon. And I thought maybe that was the case. I didn't understand why everybody turned on her. In the Forrest Gump novel, Forrest Gump was a hunking goon? Yeah, and Jenny was with him. One of the prime reasons Jenny stayed with him was because he had a giant wiener. Wait, what? Yep, and he was like a wrestler and stuff. Tom Hanks, who's all of a buck 50 in Forrest Gump? 
Yeah. It's like Tom Cruise in Jack Reacher. Tom Cruise, all of 5'9", with his little heel inserts. And he's tough and fast and all, but Jack Reacher, as is more accurately portrayed on the, I think it's an Amazon show, is like 6'6", and like gigantic. Weird. Hollywood. They they actually talk about his anatomy in the Forrest Gump novel, which, by the way, is it called Forrest Gump? Yep. Forrest Junk? Forrest Junk. <laughs> For what you're asking, it was all pretty linear, and I did not understand that she was on trial for murder. I have to admit that for a second there, we incorrectly identified the murder suspect as, as Tate, and I was like, wait, Tate is the guy who died? And we were like, oh, wait, no, Chase. No, never mind. And so oh, that made man. it a little bit confusing. You mean it was confusing that they cast two men who look very similar right? in Taylor John Smith and Harris Dickinson? And so when Chase showed up, I called him fake Tate or, or Tate or not. And I didn't understand. I was like, so why do we care? Like, who, why should we be invested in fake Tate? I don't care. And not having read the book, I didn't know that there was a twist, which I have to say, obviously, if you've, you're listening to this, you've either read the book or seen the movie or both. If it's a faithful adaptation from the book, if you know what's going to happen, it takes a lot of the piss out of the movie, I feel. Because I was like, what do you got for me? Okay, there's the swamp beauty shots and stuff. And this girl is set upon by the her entire community. And you have no idea why whatsoever. She's like, does this mean we're boyfriend and girlfriend? And she doesn't know anything about life. But she has like, you know, naturalistic foundation and, and sculpted eyebrows and stuff. <laughs> Wait, so did, did the twist work for you? I mean, not really. It was, I figured it out just a few seconds before it was revealed. But I was like, wait, we're time jumping? Who the hell is that? And Kelly Ray is like, that's Marsha or whatever. And I was like, okay, Marcia? well, the only, yeah, the only reason we would be going this far is if she actually did it. Like, there were, no, we're not going to jump back in time. Why are we jumping forward in time? What's the revelation? Oh, she did it. There it is. So it wasn't a very satisfying twist. And it, it was like the last few seconds of the movie. But I kind of was hanging on the idea of the murder mystery to get this otherwise pretty pedestrian marsh romp to get to get me through it. Because I certainly didn't care about her family and or her upbringing or or Tate going off to college and Chase taking his place or whatever. But even without the spoilers, you press play on where the crawdads sing and it says violence, foul language, sexual assault depiction. And I was like, all right, well, PG-13, but the sexual assault is coming. And I didn't know who it was going to be. It kind of didn't matter to me. It was Chase, which unfortunately prevented me from using the term that I set out very early, which was that she got Tate raped. Oh, I couldn't I couldn't use it. So that was disappointing. So obviously a play on date rape. Tate did not take advantage of her. But why didn't he come back? Why did he leave her sitting on the shore in Fourth of Because she was July? a swamp rat and he had things to do. He was going to be like a senator or something. His dad listened to Puccini, man. He wasn't going to sit around for some backwoods Marsha chick. His dad may have been cultured for his time and place, but he wasn't like a do you know who my father is kind of guy. He came from humble beginnings. He was for all intents and purposes, a humble kind of guy, why wouldn't he stick to his word? And I'm saying this because I think the one success of this movie was getting carried away a little bit by the Kaya and Tate romance. Now, it's, again, not notebook level, but I, I was rooting for them and the making out and stuff was pretty hot. I'm going to say that 
there's a proximity attraction thing that happens. She is attracted to the two dudes that on the surface don't treat her like garbage, like the rest of the town mysteriously does. And he knew that he was going off into a bigger, better world where there were other girls who were just as attractive. And he understood, or came to understand at least, that Marsha wasn't the end-all be-all of ladies as far as options are concerned. Where she didn't have that perspective. You find people where you are. She had limited options. He found other options. Can't really blame the dude, although something stuck in him. You can take the boy out of the marsh, but you can't take the marsh out of the boy. And he came back for her ultimately because he knew she wasn't going anywhere. And their love, however, his his love for her somehow is stronger, knowing that he's got options and yet he still chooses her. That, and he finds that they're, in terms of their life's ambitions, much more aligned than he is perhaps with these other college, these college co-eds. But how do we excuse or how do we explain Chase's an education level relationship fraud? Like, why do men take relationships so seriously when they have no intention of actually? Is it just like they just they just love love and they get caught up in the fantasy and they don't want to let it go, even though they're living completely double lives? Yeah, she she was his like swamp side thing. She didn't have a cell phone or whatever. She didn't talk to anybody. So he can kind of keep her on the side and she wasn't going to start mucking stuff up. Even though she did. She was like in school or or she went and saw him and he was like surrounded by his dudes and introduced her her fiance. But even then, bewilderingly, she wouldn't hold Chase accountable. There was no like you lied screaming in his face, wrecking his engagement, you know, helping out the other girl by pointing out his infidelity, he punched her full on in the face and she stumbled away with like a bruised face after hitting him with a rock and torn clothes when he was going to rape her. And the fisherman was like, I saw that girl right there. She definitely murdered him. You know, like why wasn't she, why wouldn't she yell about the, the sexual assault to anyone who would listen? That dude, he was a witness with blinders on. He, he saw exactly the wrong thing. Maybe he saw what he wanted to see or what they would see from what they expect from the Swamp Girl. Sorry, I feel like in a way this is the concept of a woman writing men who are violent and oblivious and deliberate in their subjugation of women. And, you know, it's fine. I, again, I didn't read the book, but it felt like, you know, this girl was perfectly lovely and into her, her own thing where she loved stuff that nobody else loved and still that town folk all hated her. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It didn't make sense. Is it because you yourself would have seen the virtue of the Marsh Girl? And you yourself would have identified her and her specialness? And no. then rescued her with your savior complex? No, she was a grown adult hiding out in the marsh. Like, she probably deserved that reputation. If she had been a little bit farther north, she would have been a witch. If she had lived, you know, a couple centuries earlier, she would have been a witch. She would have been the Red Riding Hood witch in the Vivitch. 
it was just this movie's depiction and probably the novel's depiction of her as being an outcast. But, you know, you'd think that if she was that antisocial, she wouldn't wear, you know, her floral print dresses that clash with her environs. If she wanted to be low key, she would have stuck to camo and wouldn't have had hair which needed such careful tendon on a regular basis. Well, she did learn something about femininity from her mother, who was obviously well-heeled, or at least what she was when she decided she wanted to go into the city. Yeah, she I guess had makeup so. and pretty dresses and heels. Went for cigarettes and then never came back. Yeah, she manifested the thing that her trauma, right, in her mom leaving her or whatever. And the mom left with zero regard for any of the children. So, subsequently, all the children ran away. And by that I mean literally ran away in an outsider's kind of way because they would stumble out of the house and run off into the swamp without regard for their younger siblings. And when mom came back at the end, Kelly Ray was like, are you still mad at her? And I was like, of course. There can be no redemption, even as much as she was an illusion for the mom character leaving and not caring what was going to happen to Marsha or any of the kids. Wow. You didn't like anybody in this. I I mean, not even Garrett Dillahunt, who just mysteriously disappeared or whatever. I was hoping for good things. And, and to your point, I guess, because all the dudes were, were deebs except for jumping, it was hard for me to identify with any of those characters. What about the Tom Milton, David Strathairn character? Not really. He seemed like a function of the movie. She, he was there to coax exposition out of her because no one else could. She had her love thing with Tate and Chase. But other than that, she didn't really talk to anybody except her lawyer. He was more her sounding board. I could see how he was a function of the film. I could also see how he's some kind of idyllic personification of the law. In this movie, you're not supposed to side with justice. You're supposed to side with a different, more humanistic interpretation of justice. I mean, I do think that this film attempted to subvert expectations with... It actually drew some criticism for its depiction of the benevolent, peacekeeping, southern black person. Oh, man. And, And Jumpin' and Mabel have to endure some really horrendous verbal and physical abuse. Yeah, but they just turn the other cheek, no matter what. And so that drew some criticism. I don't really care to comment on that too much, except for the fact that it was not wholly rounded. I don't think these characters were. I didn't get a real sense of hominess or of authenticity to a, granted, uh, an environment that I have no familiarity with. Is this how it is down south, particularly in the 60s? Don't know. And in that sense, the film is almost portrayed as a true story or as something that had historically happened I mean, I guess that's just to give weight to the fiction. But if it is, if it is supposed to be historically accurate, accurate representation of society at the time, I guess, what is it saying? That people are discriminatory and racist and afraid of what they don't know, just like today? Well, the key to Mockingbird is that it more closely tied together the themes of cultural expectation that the black guy would be the one who would be most likely to have committed a heinous crime. Whereas Marsha, although I think she was meant to be in the Boo Radley role, there wasn't really any basis for it. They certainly didn't have evidence, at least as was presented in court. As they put it, no fingerprints is not an implication of guilt. It seems like your biggest gripe with this film is the Kaya character and how unrealistic it would be that she would be ostracized and marginalized 
and victimized. Which I wonder, does that come down to the casting choice of Daisy Edgar Jones, who I thought was just so perfect for this on the surface? I think she looks great on film and it's it's kind of her soulful face is something to watch. But I don't know that she is the character that would draw such ire from people. Like someone so unassuming, so unthreatening and so pretty. I mean, I and again, I get, maybe that was subverting expectation considering she actually killed that dude in cold blood and then lied about it successfully. But it seemed that it was just meant to be a Hallmark movie-ish kind of thing where she's completely beyond doubt. And then, whoa, because this movie is edgy, won't that knock everybody out of their seats at the end? And I think they're really relying heavily on that twist, which was spoiled if you read the book. But there was a lot of eye-rolling between us during this movie. Uh, I wrote down some of the Southern colloquialisms. Like, Marsha, you can't just run away from every whip stitch. I don't know what that means. (laughs) It's Kaya. Whatever. Because that, that's, that's not her real name either. It isn't? No. It was like Catherine Zeta Taylor Joy or something in the courtroom, right? You know, I wanted this movie to deliver hard on its promise of a courtroom drama. And we both thought the inevitability of the flashback, the revelation of who really killed it. Was it Tater Tot? Who came to her defense and killed that dude? Was it Jumpin' or, and then, you know, disappeared into the marsh or whatever, never to taking that secret, everyone taking that secret to their graves and Southern Gothic kind of thing. And then we never got that. I was like, you know, where is Tater Tot fighting off the lynch mob when she gets off scot-free? When when are they going to crack the case? It was just like flashing forward and unprotected sex. And aren't we already man and wife like geese or whatever? I didn't understand in that way. I was like, why are we time jumping? And then Ma showed up and I was like, F Ma, dude. She doesn't deserve a place in that girl's heart or whatever, except that heart is full of deep secrets and murder. A woman's heart is an ocean of secrets, yep. Wes. And uh, much as they tossed her house looking for evidence, they didn't think to rifle through the books or anything. The books or her diaries are pretty telling of her state of mind. Why were the red hat fibers on his clothes at all? Because she killed him. She was rubbing her head on his jacket? I mean, I'm sure that it was an exchange. She didn't lure him up there to look at the stars and then, oh, step over here to the right another three feet and then you can see Orion much better. And then he fell to his death. I'm pretty sure there was some kind of struggle. And so Daisy Edgar Jones overtook strapping young Chase Andrews, the college QB, the best (laughs) college QB this town had ever seen. Yeah, she probably did the thing where she ran and jumped over the pit at the last minute, the great uh, hole in the floor, a hole in the, the water tower or whatever. And he came for her and fell to his doom like a Disney villain. We don't know because we didn't see it. All we know is, look, there's a twist. So not only did you not like this, but neither did Kelly. She did say that it was better than she expected. But I also, this is another one where, sorry, I didn't read the book and I didn't even watch a trailer. I knew that it was beloved and best-selling book or whatever. So I tried to take her to it and she said no. So I watched it pretty cold. And I was like, all right, well, never once thought, and well, it's not true, not until the last five minutes did I think she had done the murder. And so I was kind of expecting it to go into more of the detail of this lost in the swamp forgotten crime and it was just love and making out in the brackish water or whatever like they look romantic on film but it's very impractical and uncomffortable to make out in the water we've talked yeah, about be this. all soaking wet and stuff 
make out with like seaweed going up your nose and junk under just under the surface. I mean, I'm, I guess this movie looked great and it was meant to be gritty and down in the dirt. And and it kind of wasn't, man. That was one of our major talking points for Piranha 2, if you recall. They start making out underneath the water kind oh, of yeah. really inexplicably just so that they can get piranha'd. <laughs> yep. <laughs> to kill a swampin' bird. Yeah, the the critter titles between the films and the books also serve to to further connect them. And so your final rating of Where the Crawdads Sing is? It all comes down to expectation and delivering. And because I had no expectation, I was just kind of carried along. But it was it was a jungle slow jungle cruise without the clever tour guide. If you're just going to hit me over the head with lackluster imagery and expect me to believe that this was the swamp rat that everyone reviled or whatever, then it was pretty thin. But it didn't piss me off, and that's extremely important. Uh, while I rolled my eyes of what it was trying to achieve and holding on to that PG-13 rating for Dear Life, like, I wasn't furious. I've been way more furious at better movies that caused me to give them lesser ratings. And for that reason, I'll give the Where the Crawdads Sing a whatever rating, it wasn't enough, I think, because of its firm adherence to the book, which I didn't read. It didn't give me the necessary things that I needed for a self-sufficient movie. Sorry, Reese Witherspoon. I went on a cross-country road trip from California, and I think the farthest north and south we got was Florida. And we went on a swamp tour, and when we got to the swamp tour, it was like an airboat, you know? Yeah, one. of those one. giant metal flat bottom boats with the huge fan on the back yeah and when we showed up the tour guy was literally like y'all here for swamp tour and we were like what <laughs> and then that became like one of those you know just those uh callback quotes like for the rest of the road trip was just like y'all here for swamp tour and what's your exiting statement again the really weird one where you fade into the background oh man i shot marvin in the face <laughs> that's right this was like my get my par get the party started uh, Y'all ready for swamp tour? Y'all here for swamp tour? And uh, I was ready for this swamp tour. I was really excited. And I feel like it became, it was like a Disney-fied version. And then you just like sit very quietly and patiently as the whole thing just runs through its course. That's kind of how where the crawdads felt. Yeah. do cra where, where crawdads would actually sing a chorus. Like, do crawdads right. sing? <laughs> They only did when they died, right? What? I didn't hear that. I just heard nice. you run. If, if Pa ever gets too uh, too unwieldy to reckon, you run off to where the crawdads sing. And I was like, okay. And then she reiterated it later. They sing when they die? Yeah. Isn't the idea that lobsters and shellfish and stuff, when you, when you like steam them, they like scream? Yeah, that's just a, a anthropomorphization kind of thing. I don't know, man. There's there's a question about this movie. Like, what makes this movie so Disneyfied? And I, I honestly believe that there are some people who cannot tell the difference of why a movie is good or not as good. Um, consider another better Garrett Dillahunt movie in Winter's Bone. Not completely thematically different. And it just worked so much better where this, yeah, felt like 
a much lighter Disney version. It got a little sterilized in translation, and I think a lot of that is embodied in just kind of how clean and pristine and innocent Kaya is presented. And so it felt it felt like a very passive viewing experience for me. I didn't feel particularly immersed, and I unfortunately did go in with high expectations and was pretty... I was kind of bummed, right? I mean, I think I, I wanted this movie to succeed, and I really wanted to see Daisy Edgar Jones succeed in this role because she had such a stunning debut in Normal People. But nevertheless, the goodwill from Normal People did not carry over. So are you giving it a boring? Yep, a boring. And that is our discussion on Where the Crawdads Sing, available on Netflix, the number one movie on Netflix at the time of this recording. We reference a ton of movies in this review. Why? Because we have a ton of episodes at orwhatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. 200 plus of new releases and your movie favorites. We also take movie favorite requests. So if you're so inclined, go to Patreon, become a movie friend, and request a film for us to review. Here at Or Whatever Movies, please send us a voicemail or send us a text, 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and... Adios, y'all. No. What do you say in the South? Well... We better head on out. And you just shot Marvin in the face. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next time. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electricast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast. Electricast.